Well, I, can you grab the lights? Um, I'm literally going to be here for two seconds because I thought, it's been Christmas. Have we all had a good Christmas, by the way? Yeah? Did, did you laugh? I like to make an effort to laugh at Christmas. Stop, unwind, and watch things that make me laugh. So, enjoy. Four candles. Four candles. You are. Four candles. No, four candles. Well, there you are. Four candles. No, four candles. <laughs> candles for forks. Got any plugs? Plugs? Yeah. Pl what kind of plugs? A rubber one, bathroom. <laughs> what size? 13 amp. to laugh. <laughs> so why did I bother to show that to you today? Well, one of the things that's been my experience, having been around a little while, is that we can have communion as part of our service. We can have taken communion for many years. And maybe particularly when you're a young Christian or a new believer, you follow the crowd and you're not quite sure why we do this. And so 
A bit like that sketch just showed us about misunderstanding. I want to make sure that we all have a really good understanding of what Scripture says communion is all about, but also really how sacred and how incredible a privilege it is to take this meal. You'll hear me use the word sacrament several times today during this meal because I want to separate out the fact that sometimes we can feel that this is a little bit part of ceremony when actually it's sacrament. It's so much more sacred and holy than just something we do as part of our liturgy and part of what we've done. Oh yeah, it's that time that we do it once a month, don't we? So we have communion today. And sometimes it might get mentioned as part of our worship today. We're going to have communion. But what do we really mean when we say that? And so I'm going to try and ask and answer at least some of those questions. Does that sound all right? We'll do a little bit of digging around in Scripture. So if you have a Bible, who has a paper Bible in their hand or in their bag? or in, Well done. Keep going. Don't give in to the technology beast that stops you knowing where the books of the Bible are. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so you can turn there if you want. It will appear on the screen a little bit later on. But some simple questions for us is, what is communion? Who is communion for? Why do we do communion? It's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? How should we approach communion? What should we expect when we take communion? And if you've been in different setups and different churches and different, even different uh, types of churches, whether it be Baptist or Presbyterian or Anglican or whatever, you can experience different things, Catholic and so on. So in a Catholic church, if you were to take communion, what would be believed there and taught there and expected there would be something called transubstantiation. Does anyone know what that means? It simply means this, that the wine that you drink becomes the blood of Jesus as you drink it. And that the bread is actually the flesh of Jesus when you put it in your mouth and you swallow that. That would be what a Catholic would believe. But we don't believe that. And the reason we don't believe that, the reason I don't believe that, is because I can't find premise for it in the Scriptures. And I'm not saying that to rubbish what the Catholics do. I'm saying, why do we do what we do? Where do our convictions come? So should we do a bit of a journey together? The other thing I'm going to provoke you with is what comes to your mind when I say the word communion? Because when you say a word, a visual image comes into your mind, doesn't it? Is your visual image that table because that's how we set it up? Is it something different? Is it something you've seen in a movie? And so on. Is it something you've experienced once when you took communion? Because when you say a word, a visual image comes. So hold that image in your mind and then work it through as we look at the scriptures today. And I'm going to ask you this because I want you to just prepare yourself. What do I expect to happen today when I take communion? So just hold that. See, there's lots and lots of questions that we can ask about communion, about how and why, where, when, how often. That's another one, isn't it? How often should you take communion? Because different traditions of churches will do it differently. Some people will be every time they meet together. Some people will be once a month. Some people will be every single week. Some people it will be at the beginning of worship. Sometimes it will be at the end. What's right? What's wrong? Let me put our minds at ease. A lot of it is preference. The Bible doesn't say you do it on a Monday at 9.30. You do it when there's only four or more of you gathered. It doesn't say that. Jesus simply gives us some framework for us to work out the importance of this meal and enjoy it. And we'll see that as we look at the scriptures today. The other thing that we've got to realize is the significance of this meal to us as believers 
and as the body of Christ. Because this is actually something that is very, very special. It matters greatly. There is great significance in communion. It's something that we're told to enjoy, and we've been given to enjoy. And so to answer some of the questions today, for any of us who've been too polite to ask the questions down the years, why do we really do this? I'm just going to watch and see what others do. That's what I did when I was first a Christian, by the way. Yeah, did anyone else do that? We're going to take communion today. Like, okay, not really sure why. Uh, bread, okay, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, wine, okay. But why? Why are we doing this? What's going on? What's taking place? How do I behave in a way that's appropriate? Has anyone ever felt that pressure? How should I behave here? What's expected of me as I take this wine and this bread? My hope and my prayer today, hello bud. My hope and my prayer today is for us to find some clarity to some of these questions, to find some great peace and joy as we look at the table and enjoy the table, and actually that we would be in line with Scripture when it says that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's the goal of the Christian life, isn't it? To walk in a manner worthy of what Jesus has set out for you and for me so that I would bless him and please him. I want to leave here today with Jesus going, yes, Rich, well done. Come on, let's go again. Let's keep going. Keep walking in this way. And there's several words that we find in Scripture for communion, okay? And I'll give them. They'll appear behind me, hopefully. You'll see the word communion written in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. But then just a little further down, a few verses further down, you'll see the words, the Lord's table. It's the same thing, in case you were wondering, if you've been reading through your Bible and thinking, what's the Lord's table? We're talking about communion. Or the Lord's supper, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11. Or if you get to the book of Acts, they talk about the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 20, I think it is. Yeah, it is. So you've got these different ways of describing the same thing. It's simply... The Christians, the born-again believers, gather together, breaking some bread and drinking some wine. That's the physical aspect of what is taking place. Those are the different ways that it's described in Scripture. But what's the spiritual element? What's the expectation? What's the blessing that's underneath these simple words and these physical acts? So the word sacrament, I mentioned it earlier. You've been holding it in your mind. Sacrament simply means this. It's an oath or a pledge. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward spiritual grace given to us. That's the technical explanation. So it's an outward expression of an inward work of God. Okay? Simple enough? That's what sacrament means. So it's not ceremony. It's not that we're going through the motions to do something. It's that we get to do something that reflects an inward work of God in an outward expression. Is that a helpful way of explaining that to us? So that's what's taking place in this moment. We're expressing that something has happened to us, something is true of us, and I'm going to express it in a physical way by taking this bread and taking this wine. And then the next question we should probably ask ourselves, well, where does communion start? Is it a New Testament thing? Is it an Old Testament thing? Because if you were to go back to the beginning of your Bible and look at Adam and Eve, you would find that they were actually in utter perfection, perfect holiness. There was nothing broken or destroyed in any way between them and God in the beginning until sin entered the world. And actually when everything was perfect, they were told to eat and enjoy and rejoice 
with all their household before the, before the Lord. That was true of them. But then sin enters the world. And that breaks that relationship. It breaks that intimacy and that enjoyment. See, God created Adam and Eve to enjoy fellowship with him and to glorify him. We agree on that, yeah? But sin messed it all up. Every meal that they ate was to be a feast in his presence. Can you even begin to imagine that? The God of heaven and earth. And I sit with him and I eat with him. And then to have that and it be taken away because of a choice I made. We loused up. We broke this. So Adam and Eve have gone from this perfection to this brokenness. Something that was intended for their good has been ruined by sin. And so following on from that brokenness, the people of God of the Old Testament only experienced this meal and this fellowship through meal with God and their relationship periodically. That's what would take place. Those of you who've been around long enough, you know the Old Testament ways of coming to God. The Old Testament ways of sacrificial meals that continually pointed out to the sins of man that had not yet been paid for. And these would be repeated year after year as they looked to the Messiah coming. And you can read a bit about that in Hebrews chapter 10. Yeah, it is chapter 10. You can read a bit about that, about their expectation of the Messiah coming to make a way where there wasn't a provision yet, other than through the priests, ceremony, meals. I'm not going to go too much into Old Testament history. But their way of enjoying this relationship with God had been destroyed since that very beginning moment where Adam and Eve sinned. Before Christ came, the supper was a Passover meal. It was the greatest and most sacred feast of the Jewish year. And for the Jewish people, it was a family occasion. So it was a family meal. It was enjoyed together. Originally, they would have gathered and they would have broken bread in the context of a meal. You're coming to my house, we're going to have a meal, but we break bread and we drink wine. And they would commemorate the Hebrew fathers and their release from captivity. This is all Old Testament history. This is how it was back in the day, if I can put it like that. They would celebrate the fact that Jesus had delivered them out of Egypt and their bondage and so on. That's the context of their meals then. But now, however, the Lord's Supper reminds us that we can now feast in God's presence with great rejoicing. Hallelujah. We did that this morning. I love that we finished on that song, You Are My King. We reminded, Dale brought to us, You're My King. We rejoice. Because we can now feast in God's presence because of Jesus, because of his sinless life, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection, his glorious salvation that he's given to you and I if you are a born-again Christian in this place today. That's worthy of an amen, not just a nod. I know it's dark over this side. Someone turn the lights back on. I've just realized you're sitting in darkness most of you. are going to nod off. So the questions I raised earlier can largely be filtered through the 1 Corinthians chapter 11 passage. If you've got that, you might want to scan down to it. It should appear behind me. I believe Diana's got a slide for you to see as well. But I want to say this. Please don't rely on screens. Drives me potty. Know where these things are in your Bibles. It's a pet peeve of mine. Because I want you to read it when you're at home, not just when it's on a screen behind me or a photograph on your phone. And you can photograph the screen if you want. 
See, the importance of communion is often misunderstood. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear me when, you say, when I say this. Because communion, if we're really not careful, can become just some optional extra that we tag on to the end of our praise and our worship. It can become that thing where we go, it's the first Sunday of the month, that's when we always do communion. And if communion is not understood correctly, the Christian attitude can be casual and take it or leave it. And there's an importance in the take it or leave it, and I'll raise that in a little while. However, the fact that communion is the only act of worship that I'm aware of where Jesus gave a special direction. Have you ever thought about that? You'll be hard, you can, you can, if you've got Bible knowledge greater than me, great, fantastic, and you can point out my wrong in saying this, but there's nowhere else in Scripture where Jesus says, this is how worship should happen. But he does say it about communion. So we need to pay attention that Jesus goes, this matters. This is important. Here's how this meal should be taken, and here's why. So we can be in no doubt about the significance and the meaning of communion and its importance to our corporate worship and our fellowship together. In 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, essentially those chapters are where Paul, the apostle, who has this spiritual foundation for the church given to him by Jesus, is instructing the Corinthian church on correct and orderly worship. That's what those chapters are on. Paul has been teaching to this church for some time, and what's happened is they've got disordered. And Paul is writing to them to bring correction to their disorder. Paul focuses on the disorder of the Lord's Supper because it's really not good in that place. What's happened is that they've taken the Lord's Supper and they've turned it into just some casual meal where people are coming and they're eating to excess, some are getting drunk and so on and so forth. People are quarreling and falling out. It's become this casual thing that they do. And it's a right old mess. And that's the context that Paul is speaking into in the passage of 1 Corinthians 11 today. You see, Paul had already been to them and he taught this stuff to them. He goes away on other ministry trips and he leaves them alone for what probably is like a parent with a child for five minutes and they cause chaos. The Corinthians have messed up in a big way, like a toddler in a room full of chocolate pots or something, okay? And so Paul has to bring a rebuke to them. He has to bring a correction. That's what fathers do, don't they? Fathers correct and say, come on. How have you got this so wrong? We need to get back to what was taught here. What is right before God? This matters. The Corinthians had lost their sense of privilege. They'd lost the sense of privilege as they sat as a guest at the Lord's table. They weren't honoring of this holy meal. They weren't honoring of one another because it had become something that was so far removed from what was actually intended and the foundation that was laid by Paul. And so in verses 23 to 25, Paul repeats the teaching that he received from Jesus, okay? And this is what it says. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It proclaims something. What does it proclaim? It proclaims he is coming again. The only way Jesus gets to come again is if he's victorious over sin and death. Amen? Yeah. 
So Jesus has conquered the grave, he has died, and he has now ascended into heaven, but he is coming again to redeem a people, you and me, if you're born again in this place, and to take you to be his own, to be with him for all eternity. If you're a Christian in this place, you're eternal. You belong to Jesus. You will be with him forever. And as you take this meal, you proclaim, he's coming. He's coming. How good is this? I don't just faintly hope, oh, please come back, Jesus. He's not coming back to just live amongst us. He's coming back to take us to be with him. Hallelujah. Take us out from all the frailties and brokenness of this life, this sin-stained earth. My sin-stained life, I still sin because I'm fallen, but I'm redeemed and I'm forgiven because of Jesus. And he says, Rich, I'm coming. I'm coming again and I'm going to take you to be with me for all eternity. Proclaim it, Rich. Every time you take this, proclaim it. I'm coming. I will not leave you or forsake you, Jesus says. Proclaim it. And that's what we do in this moment. That's what we do in this meal. It's an opportunity for us as we gather in his name to remember our deliverance through him. Wow, what a privilege. It's not just some bread and it's not just some wine. It's not ceremony. It's that sacrament, that inward work of God being expressed in an outward sign. And if we don't understand or if we lose sight of the sacrament, we could also be in danger of undermining the spiritual health of our church. <gasps> you can't say that, Rich. I can say that because the Corinthian church demonstrates that and proves that to us. Because the focus of verses 27 to 29 is clear that the meal is to be eaten after proper self-examination. Say self-examination. I need more water. I'm drying up. One of the things that's really important about our understanding of what communion is and how we are to correctly take it is that we are to examine ourselves. Communion is taken in the context of community. And our unity matters. When brothers and sisters are out of sorts with one another, we need to make sure that we work hard at forgiveness and our unity. And that matters in the context of this meal because if we are to be truly blessed by this meal, we need to do what Paul is instructing us to do through the scriptures, which is to make sure that you examine yourself, that there is nothing wrong in your relationship with God or one another. That's what he's talking about. And the Corinthians have got into a right old mess where they're out of sorts with one another and some are getting drunk and some are doing silly things, eating to excess. Their relationship with God's not right, let alone one another. And so they are taking this meal in what the scriptures would say is an unworthy manner. You see, one of the things that we can do, and we're really good at this as human beings, is if we fall out with someone, we can say, but you don't know what they did. Ever done that? Ever felt it? Ever thought it? Yes, I have. Okay. But my Bible tells me, Rich, you need to examine yourself and your relationship with me. You're not to examine what the other person did, what they did to you, whether they're forgiving you, whether they're repentant for what they did. The Bible doesn't tell me I have to care about those things. It tells me that I have to care about my attitude and my relationship to that individual and to God himself. If I'm to take it in a worthy manner because I can't control if I upset Kevin I'll pick on Kevin because he's sitting here and he's smiley if I upset Kevin 
or sorry, if Kevin upsets me, I've got a responsibility to forgive Kevin, and we need to sort out, we need to have a conversation, and I need to say, Kevin, what you said there upset me, and I've been carrying it. Can you help me so that we can work at this, and we can get our relationship back where it should be? Kevin say, Rich, I didn't even realise I'd upset you. Or whatever goes on, and we work at our relationship, our unity and forgiveness, and we can both sit together and pray together, we can enjoy communion together. But if I'm harbouring bad feelings, going, Kevin's a right one. (laughs) Do you know what he said? If I walk around here and go, do you know what Kevin said to me? You haven't heard it, have you? Let me tell you. You, Do you know what he did? I'm gossiping, I'm slandering, I'm disunifying the body of Christ, and I'm breaking something that is supposed to be unified. And so I would be guilty of taking that table in an unworthy manner. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men, Scripture would say to you. So I would have to make sure that before, if that was our situation this morning, before I could take that meal, I would need to go to Kevin and say, Kevin, I've been carrying this, can we work at it? That would be my responsibility this morning in that scenario. Because unity matters. Where there's unity, there's blessing. Hallelujah, come on. For the spiritual health of this church, I want to work hard at my relationship so that I don't dishonor God and I don't do any harm to anyone else. I don't don't cause any fractures in this place. It matters. It's about self-examination. It's not about the examination of another. That's their responsibility before God. Okay? It says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For, if he, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge or discern the body rightly. It doesn't say that you bring judgment upon another person. You bring judgment upon yourself. It talks about self-examination, and therefore the judgment would come upon you if you're the guilty sinner. That's what the Scripture teaches us. And let me say this. Let's just be people who are quick to forgive. It's such hard work to remain angry and bitter. It's exhausting, and it's not worth it. This life is but a vapor. I don't want to waste it out of sorts with someone. And so I speak to myself, get over yourself, Rich. Unworthy doesn't so much refer to the one taking the bread, but, uh, sorry, the other person. It refers to the one who's taking the bread, okay? It's about us. So we've got to make sure that we've repented of our sins. Are you right before God? Or are you continuing on in habitual sin? Have you got a continually broken relationship with someone where you make a real effort to keep that broken? If so, Do some business with God today so that that can be put right. Because it's clear that if we take it in an unworthy manner, we will bring judgment upon ourselves. And I wouldn't want that for anybody. Those verses get a little bit harder towards the back end, but don't worry. There is joy. Because for all Paul's warning, he says, but you get to enjoy all this. It says, actually, at the back end of those verses, that the judgment that come upon the Corinthians had caused some of them to become sick and some to even sleep. And I'm going to say it as plainly as it says in some translations, some had actually died. So what the scriptures are telling us is that some people have become so spiritually sick that actually they'd become physically sick and that physical sickness had led to their dying. God had not healed them. 
And we don't know why that is exactly. God could have spared them from something far worse or so on. It's not for us to sit here and judge. But we do need to pay attention that there is a connection between spiritual sickness and physical sickness sometimes. Now, do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every physical sickness is a spiritual sickness because you would have misheard me. That's not true. But the two can correlate from time to time. Sometimes a physical sickness is a result of a spiritual sickness. You're bitter, your body becomes toxic. It happens. Whether it's mentally or physically, that can happen. And so this judgment had come upon the Corinthians at the end, and some had actually gone to sleep. Wow. Ease up, Paul. And I know sometimes these verses can seem a little bit unpopular and not very palatable in our context, can't they? But they're there, so we have to teach them. We don't get to gloss them. So we now have an understanding of how we should take communion. The question now is who should take communion? Have you ever thought about that? Who's communion actually for? Because if you're an unbeliever, this would be the view of some people I know who are ministers in different contexts than ours, but they would say, it doesn't matter if an unbeliever takes communion, surely they're just eating bread and taking wine. That would be, that would be how some people have actually shared with me their views on communion, because they would say, we are taking communion today, everybody's welcome to take communion. Me personally, and I believe elders, correct me if I'm wrong, you can jump up here and say Rich was a heretic, um, it's fine, true, they're the leaders, and I submit, and they, they must make sure that we are orderly in our worship in this place. But in some context, that would be what was said. But for me, from Scripture, this is a meal for believers. First and foremost, you must be born again. And I will say this as a secondary, but very, very important thing. You should be baptized by full immersion in water as well. Why? Because it's the very first instruction that Jesus gives to those who are born again. So much so that he goes and gets into the river himself and is baptized, right? So Jesus goes, this is so fundamental to your Christian experience in the beginning of your spiritual life that I'm going to do it. The one who doesn't need to be baptized will be baptized. And then Jesus goes and gives us this orderly instruction for our worship with regard to how we take communion. It's on the last night before he's due to die, as he's about to be betrayed, and he sits with the one who's betraying him. Let's remember that, Judas. And he breaks bread. Just before that, Jesus, and it's interesting that we talked about him being a servant king and our king this morning, because just before that, Jesus has actually got down on his knees and washed the feet. This is our Jesus, guys. So for me, this is my personal opinion. You must be born again. And if you, yes, you can be on the road to I'm getting baptized the next available date, great. Come take communion, enjoy. But if you're someone who says, I'm not going to be baptized in water, then I would question what business do you have taking this meal in remembrance of him? If you're unwilling to be obedient through the uh, waters of baptism, what business do we have, if that was my opinion, in taking the table in remembering Jesus? Does that follow through? How can I worship one who I won't submit to? Does that make sense? Thank you, Martin. Seriously. I know some of the things I'm saying are hard-hitting, but it's true. This is what orderly worship looks like. Why? Because there is blessing when we do it the Jesus way. Not our way, not our liturgy, not what we've always picked up. This is what Scripture teaches us. And I'm teaching something today. You need to be convinced of it. 
Do you believe what I'm saying is true? Can you see it in the scriptures? I should say that it doesn't explicitly say in the scriptures to take communion, you have to be baptized in water. But it does say you must be baptized in water. <laughs> All right? It's the first step of obedience for the Christian. Community is an, uh, communion sorry, is an opportunity for us to grow in humility, isn't it? To think less of myself and more of my brothers and sisters as I forgive and as I look to bless them. That's what I love about how we do communion here. We say, come get the bread and the wine, then go back and pray together, don't we? We sit together. So I'm going to bring us towards a close now because I think I've said enough. Should, uh, no, I should say this. Families, children, because some of you parents are probably sitting there and going, Rich hasn't said anything about children and children and communion. And I did talk to Quincy about this um, just before Christmas. And he would hold the belief, and so would I, um, that actually we would place a responsibility on you as parents with regards to your children and taking communion, okay? So if you feel that your child has come to a good understanding of the gospel, that they've made Jesus their Lord and Saviour, they're under your spiritual covering, and you can then enjoy bread and wine as a family together. That's fine. And nobody, no leader in this place, me or anyone else, is going to fence this table and go, show me your credentials, all right? Prove it. Like some gladiator or something. It's just not going to happen. But we're talking about discerning our relationship with God, our unity with one another, and good and right biblical practice so that we get the blessing that is promised with this meal. Is that, is that helpful to hear? Yeah? All right, so six dimensions before we come to take communion in a minute. And I love this. It's an opportunity for us to look backwards. In the Lord's Supper, we get to look backwards at the redemptive work of Jesus accomplished by his death on a cross. We don't just recollect that truth as some intellectual thing, but actually we remember his death, his resurrection, that it has saved us is saving us and will forever save us. That's what we're remembering. It's so much more than a death on a cross. He's saved us, is saving us, and will forever have us saved. Come on. We get to look forward. Communion's much more than just this morbid recalling of a man hanging on a cross, bleeding as our substitute, because as I said earlier, we get to proclaim his death until he comes again. What a wonderful thing. We're shouting out in, in, in a, well, we're not shouting out, we're demonstrating that he's not done yet. He's coming back again. And we will have personal fellowship with Jesus. Wow. Always makes me think of that Vicky Beechin song. I can only imagine what it would be like. Will I stand? Will I fall to my face? All those lyrics. And you think, I haven't got a clue, but I just want it to happen. It's going to be great. We get to look inwards, and we talked about this just a minute ago. Paul reminds us that the celebration of communion is also about our self-examination, examining our lives that we might highlight within us any sin that is hindering us from having the fullness of relationship with Jesus. We don't want to be coming to this table unrepentant. If you've got to do business with God, do business with God, and then enjoy the mealtime. Make sure that our relationships are healthy and whole. We get to look upwards. The Lord's Supper also is an opportunity for us to remember Jesus' death on the cross, his burial in a tomb, but that's not the end of the story. His resurrection seals the fact that Jesus, the Son of Glory, is victorious over sin and death now and forevermore. We get to look upwards and go, this is true. 
and will always be true. We get to look around because communion is a time to reinforce the communal nature of this meal. This meal is to be taken together. It's not some personal individual thing. It's to be enjoyed together in fellowship. And lastly, it's a chance for us to look outwards. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And there are many who still need to hear that message, aren't there? So as we take this meal, as we make that proclamation, he's coming again, we need to think about those who don't yet have that as their reality. Who do I know? Who do I love? Who do I care about that I want to someday get to enjoy that meal with? And we finish looking outwards because the gospel is given for our salvation, but our remit is to go into all the world and proclaim it. Amen? So as we finish that meal, that's what we're proclaiming. So carry in your heart someone or someones who you want to enjoy that meal with. And be prayerful about that as well. Because what an opportunity. So many people need to know the good news of who Jesus is and they don't get to hear it. So let's be mindful as we finish the meal today that we go and we tell someone. When someone says to you, what do you do on the weekend? You can say, well... Let me tell you, we had communion at church, and this is what it means. Anyone got the guts to do that? I'll do it tomorrow on the dog walk. Doesn't bother me. What are they going to do? Just be disinterested? Oh, well. But I'm going to say we did communion. This is what happened. This is who God is. I told someone this morning that I was speaking on communion, so I'll go back and tell them how it went. They'll be there tomorrow. It's a privilege. So, I thought this morning, I'm going to sanitize my hands, not my eyes. There we go. Um, I thought this morning we would actually have a loaf. Normally we have pita breads, and there are some gluten-free little biscuits in this basket here, if that's what you need. The wine is non-alcoholic, if uh, anyone was wondering, and I hope I poured enough of the little um, cups but I want us to step into a time of actually now enjoying communion. So I'm going to pray over the bread and the wine, and then you can do your self-examination, and then you can come and get your bread and your wine and go back and pray with someone. It's not, and I'm going to say this, please don't let it be an opportunity for a catch-up and a chat. What do you do at Christmas? This is a sacrament. This is a mealtime. We can catch up over coffee at the end. Is that okay? So Father, we want to thank you for this means of grace to us today. I want to thank you, Jesus, for your perfect life, your death on the cross, and your victory over sin. I want to thank you that it was your body that was broken for each one of us so that we would go free. And so we say, Jesus, we bless this bread as we remember you as our Lord, our Saviour, our Redeemer. Come and bless this bread and bless this wine to each one of us. Come and let us experience all the goodness that you intend in this meal as we remember you and all that you've promised in it. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So don't stand on ceremony. If you want to come and get some bread and wine, come get some bread and wine. And uh, let's go back, let's pray, and let's be 